0: Trump takes to Twitter to show his support for protesters in Iran. The president's tweet about Pakistan pushes the American ally into an emergency meeting. And Trump sets his sights on some big legislative wins in 2018. This is the state of America tonight. Have a great
1: 2018. It is the international issues that are dominating the president's Twitter feed.
0: President Trump tweeting his support for the Iranian people while declaring it's time for change in Tehran. We have some pretty good enemies out there,
2: but step by step, they're being defeated.
3: We never know what Donald Trump is thinking. If there's a method to the madness, is this just crazy Twitter diplomacy? We're actually closer to a nuclear war with North Korea than we've ever been.
0: Kim Jong-un has almost sidelined the United States. They're focusing their more conciliatory efforts on South Korea. Nia Malika Henderson live in New York and for Kate Baldwin. To our viewers watching around the world, this is State of America Tonight. At any moment, we're going we're gonna to hear from the press secretary uh, for the first briefing of the new year. She'll uh, be speaking soon, and we'll, of course, bring that to you once it begins. But first, the start of the new year, a time when resolutions are made, and many look forward to that fresh start. But even for the most determined among us, sometimes those old issues just have a way of coming back again and again. And the story is just the same here in Washington, as President Trump and Congress get back to work. A slew of items on lawmakers' desks, government spending, DACA, infrastructure, the Children's Health Insurance Program, another potential swing at repealing Obamacare, and reforming entitlement reforms. And that's just the domestic agenda. But the bigger story on this second day of 2018 may be several critical tests of President Trump's foreign policy. We start with Iran, where at least 21 people have been killed so far in anti-government protests. Iran is one of those topics that was a staple for for Trump during and after the campaign. Remember this?
4: As I have said many times, the Iran deal was one of the worst and most one-sided transactions the United States has ever entered into.
0: Now, this current unrest comes as the White House faces key deadlines this month about whether to keep that deal in place. And maybe that's why the president is devoting so much time to Iran on Twitter, where he's expressed support for protesters and taken a few jabs at former President Obama's strategy. And in fact, he's tweeted about Iran seven times in just the past few days. But one top Republican says it's time for more than just tweeting.
1: It's not enough to watch. President Trump is tweeting uh, very sympathetically to the Iranian people, but you just can't tweet here. You have to lay out a plan. And if I were President Trump, I'd lay out a plan as to how I would engage the regime.
0: For his part, Iran's foreign ministry says Trump should stop, quote, wasting his time on writing useless and offensive tweets, unquote, and focus on the U.S. And in a rare response, Iran's Supreme Leader slammed outside influences.
5: Key that Ayatollah Ali Khamenei would feel the need to actually say something. His position normally is sort of above, really, uh, the presidency of Iran as the country's supreme leader. But he was clear to blame, quote, the enemy. Uh, The enemy is waiting for an opportunity, for a floor through which they can enter. It's clear here
2: that the enemy normally refers to the United States.
0: But one former Obama official says that, at least on Iran, the Trump White House may be getting it right, where his boss, President Obama, got it wrong.
3: In retrospect, I think we made a mistake. Uh, I think that we should have, we should have made it clear that in fact the world was watching. I think it's very important that the Trump administration not look like they're trying to foment trouble, uh, because that I think ultimately wouldn't be very credible. This administration, President Trump is not seen internationally as being a champion of human rights. So again, saying the world is watching is probably the right tone.
0: And Iran is just one of the many old foreign policy issues resurfacing in this new year. Up next, the ongoing war of words between the White House and North Korea. Kim Jong-un kicked off 2018 by warning the U.S. that the nuclear button is always on his desk. But for his part, President Trump, he insists his strategy is a working strategy and a good strategy, tweeting that sanctions and, quote, other pressures are working and that, again, these are his words. Uh, Rocket Man now wants to... To talk to South Korea for the first time. He's talking about that olive branch that Kim seems to have offered to his neighbors to the South, saying that the two must come together to find peace. It's an olive branch South Korea seems eager to accept at this point. The President Moon Jae-in uh, certainly has uh, has said consistently that he wants negotiations, dialogue, engagement with North Korea at some point. It's it's the ticket that he ran on to uh, to gain the presidency. But while President Trump may be claiming a victory, uh, a former deputy secretary of state has a somewhat different theory.
5: I think Kim is
3: responding to the pressure at the same time. He sees an opening because, unfortunately, President Trump got off to a bad start with President Moon in uh, South Korea, uh, denigrating him, threatening unilateral action. Uh, And he sees an opportunity now, Kim, to uh, drive a wedge.
0: Now to another 2017 topic that is taking center stage early in 2018, Pakistan. You may recall the president had this to say just a few short months ago.
4: I want to thank the Pakistani government. I want to thank Pakistan. They they worked very hard on this, and I believe they're starting to respect the United States again.
0: Now, that was in October after Pakistan helped secure the release of a U.S. citizen and her family who had been held by a group with ties to the Taliban. What a difference a new year makes, because today the Pakistani government held an emergency meeting in response to a recent Trump tweet, uh, his first of the new year, we might add, uh, slamming the country for what he calls lies and deceit on terrorism and threatening to withhold funding. The White House confirmed that it will, in fact, continue to withhold that aid, a decision that former State Department spokesman says is appropriate, with one warning.
4: I don't, again, don't have any compunction about the president withholding aid and assistance. I think he's on good ground there. Pakistan hasn't delivered mm-hmm. uh, over the last 15 years, and I understand that. Uh, but we, while, while we have to hold aid and assistance that, to hold them accountable for that, we also have to try to find a way to manage this relationship because we need each other.
0: But one analyst says the president should be cautious when it comes to ramping up the rhetoric against Pakistan.
5: Pakistan is a nuclear armed country and uh, a, a major non NATO ally as designated by President Bush. If you drive them away, if they become more radicalized, uh, what do you do with a radicalized nuclear armed nation? And, and that's gonna be a, a tough line for the president. Mm-hmm.
0: And Pakistan is just one of the several tough lines at home and abroad. The Trump administration will probably have to walk uh, this year in 2018. As we like to say here on State of America, stay tuned. And we're going to go straight to the White House now where the president uh, starts this new year with a packed agenda and plenty of tweets. His favorite thing to do uh, on social media, Jeremy Diamond, uh, he's here with us uh, with more details on the president's focus today. Jeremy, we're going to hear from Sarah Huckabee Sanders for the first time uh, this year. What do you think are some of the top lines, the the top questions that reporters are going to have for her today?
2: Yeah, that's right. Well, Sarah is expected. Uh, the Sarah Sanders, the White House press secretary, is expected to brief reporters for the first time this year, uh, the first time in nearly two weeks since the president has been uh, at Mar-a-Lago down south in Florida. Uh, and she's going to face a, a bevy of questions uh, in particular about the coming year and the priorities for this administration. The president himself has been doing a lot of talking already, as you mentioned on Twitter. He's been taking to Twitter in particular to shine a spotlight on the growing protests happening across uh Iran. This is just one of the messages that he posted today. The people of Iran are finally acting against the brutal and corrupt Iranian regime. All of the money that President Obama so foolishly gave them went into terrorism and into their pockets. The people have little food, big inflation and no human rights. The U.S. is watching. Uh, To be clear, there is no clear connection between the frozen assets that the U.S. released to Iran as part of the Iran deal and uh, Iran's funding of, of terrorism and other destabilizing activities in the region. Uh, but the president here clearly using the bully pulpit of the presidency and his social media accounts to really shine a spotlight on those protests going on there. UN Ambassador Nikki Haley said at this time there are no plans for any kind of unilateral sanctions or other action uh, from the United States. So far, it's just words uh, and keeping the focus on those protests happening there. But the president has a lot more on his agenda for this year so far. He was also this morning tweeting about DACA. Uh, of course that. Pr- program to protect dreamers from deportation, which the president ended a few months ago. That deadline is coming up in March, and the president has signaled that he wants some kind of a deal, and he wants more border funding in exchange for those protections. But so far, there is no deal, and the president is uh, really pushing Democrats there, suggesting that they're not willing to get to a deal. But the president himself, a lot of questions about his willingness to reach one of those kinds of agreements. Nia?
0: Jeremy Diamond, thank you. We'll uh, take that briefing live uh, up ahead. And still ahead, President Trump's international remarks take Twitter diplomacy to a whole new level, outraging three foreign powers not even two full days into this new year. Our panel weighs in next. President Trump is starting his new year with a focus overseas. Many of his first tweets of 2016 have a decidedly international focus. Needling Iran, North Korea and Pakistan. On the panel tonight, we've got Evan Siegfried, Republican strategist and author of GOP GPS. Jeff Balaban, member of Donald Trump's re-election committee advisory board. Alex Burns, CNN political analyst and national political reporter for The New York Times. And Zerlina Maxwell, who was the director of uh, Progressive Program. For Sirius XM and a former Hillary Clinton campaign official, a flurry of tweets, I think it was something like 20 or so uh, over these last days. He's very active on Twitter uh, on New Year's Eve. You guys may have been as well. Uh, Alex, I'm going to start with you on this. Do you see any signs of a Trump doctrine that's emerging on foreign policy? You know, sort of the tagline is put America first. make America. Is that what you're seeing? I mean, is there a sort of method to the tweeting in terms of his stance on Iran, North Korea and Pakistan?
5: You know, the one that stands out to me as... The piece that most reflects his sort of underlying philosophy of international relations is the threat to withhold uh, foreign aid from Pakistan. Transactional, right? Is transactional? He has had the view for decades. Is one of his most consistent. Uh, Political ideas that the United States gets taken advantage of uh, by trading partners, by people who receive, by people in countries that receive money from the United States and then don't do right by us in return. So that I think is is totally consistent. Uh, You know, his his advocacy on behalf of the protesters in Iran, his speaking out against uh, dictatorship there, that is something of a departure for him. He's been hawkish on Iran from the beginning. He has not been, you know, somebody who's who has trumpeted. the message of freedom against strongmen worldwide, right? right? Iran, in some ways, uh, is a standout.
0: In, in, and I wonder if you think does that sort of undermine his credibility at all? The fact that he has been at times anti-media, uh, that he hasn't been someone to take to the the podium and talk about human rights. Here he seems to be doing that on Iran.
3: And good for him for doing it. You know, I think we're seeing with him with Twitter now. Yes, he's putting in the odd jab to President Obama, and I don't think that is really necessary. I think he needs to actually go forward and just keep talking about how we stand with the protesters and not with the ruling elites in Iran who have brutalized their people. What he should do in addition to this is get the international coalition together to really stand up with the Iranian protesters. And if he can do that, as well as provide indirect aid to the protesters, such as by working with tech companies Mm -hmm. uh, such as Twitter to help them find ways to not be shut down by the Iranian government that would be an overall positive and I think it would be a way in which President Trump could really uh, alleviate a lot of fears that uh, our allies and other countries have about us and him.
0: And Jeff on North Korea the president uh, has nicknamed the, the, the leader there Rocket Man has talked about uh, fire and fury raining down uh, like never seen before. Do you feel like it's working? He of course says that this is working and that this is the reason uh, that North Korea and South Korea might come to the table together.
4: Well, I think these are the same issue. Iran and North Korea and the way he's dealing. You asked at the outset about a Trump doctrine. And I agree that part of it is the United States wants to get value from money. But it's more than that. The United States is reasserting itself under Donald Trump as the global sheriff. It's reasserting re- itself as as the, unipo- the unipower. You
0: disagree, Evan. You're uh, following your campaigned
4: on we need to be America, America first. first. America first is the exact
3: opposite of the global but, sheriff. But, but it's not. So it's, not
4: it's not when we have. It's not when we have interactions with other countries that are trying to take advantage of us. And and you see, we're pulling back in certain ways. We're saying to the UN. We're going to cut back unless we see that you're doing right by us. Pakistan, we're going to cut back unless you see doing right by us. So we're already entangled. Zero. We're not starting from zero. No, no, we're not starting from zero. We're not taking the ball and going home. We're saying put up or shut up. And I think Americans are behind that. He hasn't
3: even confronted aggressive geopolitical Chinese expansion or how they've been trying to politically... I think think right now he's working,
4: I think, very effectively with China to try and deal with North Korea. He He violated his own pledge uh, to not do...
3: May I finish, please? Please. Uh, He violated his own pledge to not do new foreign business deals with any Chinese companies or any foreign business companies for a company that's wholly owned and operated by the Chinese government and exists for one purpose, to undermine the United States and Western powers economically and geopolitically. I'm
0: going to get Zerlina. You see, this is the debate, right? between right, season, both right? sides of uh, <laughs> Republicans uh, there, what is the sort of Democrats' uh, response? What is their role here uh, as Trump seems to want to conduct uh, diplomacy and foreign policy via Twitter? Well, I think that that's a
1: terrifying thought, the fact that we have a world leader. Because, I, you know, coming out here, I was thinking... Are there any other world leaders who conduct their diplomacy of their entire nation on Twitter in 140 now 280 characters? And I couldn't think of any. And I think that there is a real risk uh, when you have somebody like Donald Trump who really doesn't understand the underlying policy details in order to promulgate foreign policy on Twitter. Um, and so I think that for me, it's not necessarily what he's saying in the tweet, per se, but what are the underlying policy goals that he's trying to get to? And I haven't heard any of that coming from any of the representatives in that's, any that's, of the
4: departments that's, in That's really an extraordinary statement. I mean, we had Barack Obama for eight years who wrecked us internationally. He, he destroyed Middle East. He, he took uh, the Iranian mullahs, the terrorist mullahs, who declare openly they want to eradicate Israel. They want ICBMs and nuclear weapons to destroy this country. And he's putting them in their place. And finally, the people putting are them in their place have. The people who are rising up. Who rose up in 2008? That Barack Obama abandoned to instead side no, with the mullahs, them. and, and he, is is the them, he is now allowing them. Intervene to intervene to, to he is now allowing them. He is now allowing them to express because that themselves. Happened and we, we after may the Gulf war finally, in version pronounced of pronounced. actual regime change. He understood this far better than Barack Obama no, ever no understood way. this. No way!
1: No way! There's no way! You, there are not facts to back up what you're saying.
4: The and facts when you are on the ground. The facts are the people of Iran taking to the streets, risking their lives. It has nothing for to do freedom. with Donald Trump. You no know difference in Democrats. Just like in 2009, Iran, it didn't Iran, have to Barack Obama Democrats, Democratic ladies, put on hijabs when they want to protest. The Iranian women, they take them off when they want to protest. They want freedom. Exactly I, what your I, president I, Obama took away from them.
1: You went way left with that. I don't know what that has to do with Democratic women is, putting is, is, on a job is, is that, or anything that about that. Not I was not referencing not that. What I'm talking about is the fact that the United you has to be very careful when backing up protesters or going to the streets. Because often when we express support for protesters going to the streets, it makes it more dangerous for them. There this is why Barack Obama supported themselves.
4: the Mullahs, who was, who, the theocracy destroying them. Terrific. I think I think President Trump understands this far better than Barack yeah, Obama absolutely ever absolutely not.
1: There's nothing that you're saying in terms of what Donald Trump has actually expressed through his mouth and through the advisors that cover these areas, that tell me that he understands the underlying policy. No, I
0: just that Alex, gonna get Alex, I'm going to get Alex in here quickly. Do we expect to see anything from Congress in terms of Iran? There's some deadlines coming up here uh, in terms of that deal, uh, the nuclear deal.
5: There sure are. And and what we had heard prior to the last few days of events in Iran was that the president was likely not to recertify the deal and was sort of likely to kick it to Congress to act if they want to, to impose right. additional sanctions or restore sanctions that were there previously. I think it's anyone's guess how recent events are going to shape that path right. forward. You do hear a sort of Obama administration alums out there arguing very, very aggressively. You know, now is not the time to uh, undermine the, the, the elected uh, government in Iran, but... The president has been very, very consistent about his position on the Iran deal. And in some ways, it'd be surprising to see him adjust course just because of a a protest movement with a very uncertain trajectory.
0: The unpredictability of foreign policy. Coming up, immigration infrastructure, entitlements, just three of the very thorny domestic issues facing President Trump in 2018. We'll look at where things stand right now. We're expecting the first White House press briefing of 2018 to start. We'll, of course, bring that to you uh, once it begins. We're also following some breaking news here. Uh, Orrin Hatch. Uh, Will retire at the end of his term. Uh, He is one of the uh, longest-serving senators. Uh, Now he's in his 80s. I believe he's 83. We're going to go right to the panel on this, Uh, and this was news that lots of folks were waiting to hear. Most notably, uh, Donald Trump, because it could mean, right, uh, Evan, that Mitt Romney could run for that seat.
3: Mitt Romney could very well run for that seat. He has talked about privately how he wants to run for that seat, but only if Orrin Hatch were to retire, because he respects Orrin Hatch so much. I think. Orrin Hatch, a lot of people felt he got a really great endorsement two weeks ago from the Salt Lake City Tribune, which said he should step down, (laughs) which in a Republican primary would actually be good for Orrin Hatch. But I think we're now seeing Orrin Hatch. He's going to be able to play kingmaker and choose who he's going to get, because the other name that's been floated is Evan McMullen, and he actually underperformed in Utah in 2016. And I don't think he has that groundswell of excitement around him.
0: And Alex, maybe Bannon gets into that race in some way as well in Utah.
5: Well, that's right. Steve Bannon and other folks on the on the more sort of Breitbart wing of the Republican Party have talked about. Uh, trying to get involved in that race, trying to block Romney. Uh, realistically, if Romney runs for that seat, he will almost certainly be a U.S. He's Senator. He's a hero in He's Utah. a hero in the state. He won the state overwhelmingly as a presidential Deeply candidate. Deeply
0: Mormon state, he of course is Mormon. And the president
5: is not all that popular in Utah, certainly by the standards of a Republican president, but really by any president. Even if the president were to intervene against Romney in a primary, which I think is far from a sure thing, um, it's the one state where that probably doesn't matter that much.
0: Zerlina Mitt Romney rides again. Some people say this is sort of the rebirth of his career? Does he have aspirations to maybe primary this president in 2020? Maybe I'm going too far. <laughs> Some people are rolling their eyes at what I'm saying. No, that that <laughs> just—I mean, As a Democrat, that would
1: be very exciting and, yeah. and fun to watch. But I think that certainly when you have somebody who uh, is a statesman like Mitt Romney, right? In 2012, certainly I supported a different candidate, but I've always respected Mitt Romney, and I think that he's held himself uh, to a certain standard, particularly in the Trump era, uh, by a criticizing the president only on substance and in a really presidential type of way. I mean, almost setting an example for how President Trump should conduct, conduct himself. So I'm looking forward uh, to see who are in hatch taps um, for his replacement in the Senate. And hopefully it is Mitt Romney. We'll see. And we'll also see who Democrats are going to run yeah. in Utah, because I think that the blue wave that's coming in 2018 is going to be a lot bigger uh, than folks are predicting.
0: And, and Jeff, Mitt Romney has been one of the fiercest critics of Donald Trump. Yes, he has. And he have a platform,
4: perhaps. Yeah, It's obviously a difference in approach between Mitt Romney and Arne Hatch in the Senate in terms of their relationship with the president. And if Mitt Romney sees it as a platform to launch his own ambitions for the White House, then it'll continue down that path. If he sees his role as being a senator and trying to build some bridges, then it'll be different. There's really no way to stand here you know, at the outset and know where he's going to go. But, uh, but I think that the sentiment around the table that he seems a little more oppositional uh, certainly seems to be the case. I, do, right. I, I would yeah.
5: sort of jump in on that, but yep. that, that I do think it's right that the assumption that Romney would run for Senate just to sort of troll Donald Trump for for you know two to six years, I think we shouldn't go there, right? That right. he's a guy who has his own set of
0: Right, and is a serious in, yeah. In yeah. many respects, is a, a
1: totally
5: figure. conventional Republican.
0: Yeah, we, we, we want to, to we're throwing, switch here yeah, to,
1: you uh, know, we're, criticizing with
0: substance. Yeah, we want to switch, uh, get a, a bit more broad here in terms of the agenda for 2018. Uh, one of the watchwords you hear, particularly from Republicans, uh, is bipartisanship. This idea that they can come together a kumbaya moment after what was a real partisan year in 2017. Uh, what do you think of that? What are the prospects on any number of issues, infrastructure, DACA, health care?
3: I have a better chance of winning the Powerball lottery tomorrow (laughs) night than any bipartisan real uh, bills passed.
0: you're a skeptic?
3: I'm a skeptic because we've spent so many years pandering in our own respective parties to the far left and the far right, and we've made bipartisan a dirty word. Mm -hmm. And people who, I mean, we saw last year, any Democrat who wanted to talk to President Trump or even say, God bless you if he sneezed, they talked about primarying them on the left. At the same time, on the right, if you somehow go against President Trump, you deserve a primary from Steve Bannon and his ilk. I think we're not going to see that much movement. There are serious issues that the president is right to talk about in tackling in terms of infrastructure and entitlement reform. But I don't think there really is that ability in Congress and why we're not going to see really much done in
0: 2017. And, Jeff, what do you think in terms of the base when he cut that deal with Chuck and Nancy around keeping the the government uh, open last year? I talked to some conservatives who said good for him that they wanted to see some working together from from both of the parties. What's your sense of how that might come across to folks in in the base?
4: Look, look, there are a lot of issues that the rules require. Senate rules require 60. Right. So it requires bipartisanship and and actually somewhat meaningful bipartisanship but the reality is where we are today, you see that when the president puts forward an agenda item that there's been across the board agreement, bipartisan agreement for decades, like the capital of Jerusalem, like even something like DACA, which he put forward, there's pushback against it. And, and to me, that's going to be the, 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 the watershed moment when he puts forward uh, that when, when there's a comprehensive immigration bill, which is going to want a wall and want border security, but also provide for DACA. If we can't get any kind of agreement on that. Then the Democrats are all in on opposing him no matter what he does. And by the way, no small number of Republicans also, perhaps. If however they come to an agreement, then they'll move the ball forward. What he has gone what the president has gone from, he's had an extraordinary end to this first year. And a lot of people are recognizing it, even people who don't particularly care for him or his agenda, recognize that he's he's been good on a lot of his promises. And that puts a lot of the burden on the sort of infighting that's going on that's purely partisan. And people are seeing it. There are things that are clearly bipartisan that people are coming out against it because Donald Trump says it. I think it's not going to wash anymore, and that's what we're going to look at that this year.
0: We're waiting, of course, on uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders to begin uh, the first press briefing of of this year in a moment now. Early, I want you to jump in here. How important is some movement on DACA? To Democrats, before uh, the year ended, there were a lot of activists uh-huh. saying th- that Democrats should be prepared to shut the government down if nothing got done on DACA. I
1: think Democrats actually resist the idea of shutting the government down, right? So I think that we, you know, we didn't want to have that happen at the end of uh, the year last year. But I do think that DACA is a priority, and that's not just because um, there's a large constituency um, that would support that, but it's also the right thing to do. And so I think that Democrats um, want to make this as p- a part of any deal that happens, particularly um, in the coming months. And and, and again, we can't forget that on January the 19th, the government runs out of money again. And so there are a number of different things that I think people are going to have to make responsible decisions
0: and responsible decisions on infrastructure. There is pretty much bipartisan agreement in the, among the public, very high in terms of people wanting to see some uh, funding behind infrastructure. Uh, but the de- when the details are hatched out, Republicans not necessarily want to pour a bunch of money uh, into infrastructure. Democrats say more money than the president uh, is even suggesting. How do you see that working? The president has said this is the easy one, infrastructure reform.
5: I think it would have been the easy one a year ago, and that was certainly the mood in both parties. There was skepticism among conservative Republicans that spending that kind of money was something that would fly, uh, especially in the House. Skepticism among Democrats that culturally bipartisanship could happen. But basically, that was seen as the goal that if the president wanted to come in, spend a lot of capital up front immediately, that he probably could have gotten something of real scale through. Now we're in an election year. The Democrats see blood in the water. They are going to be looking to deny the president uh, accomplishments to run on. And frankly, the Republican Party is more fractured now. Uh, than it was a year ago. So the mechanics of getting something done are way more complicated. I still do think if there is any shred of hope for doing something on a, on a bipartisan basis in 2018, that's probably it. Infrastructure. But, but the operative word there is shred.
0: Yeah. What's your where would you put the chances of inf- nowhere for infrastructure? I mean, you say just bipartisanship, no, uh, no just, way.
3: Maybe I'm jaded enough that bipartisanship isn't happening. I right. mean, there's widespread support on both sides of the aisle to fix DACA at right. the legislative level, but the president insists on tying it to Wall funding. So that's anathema to most Mm -hmm. uh, Democrats. And at the same time, there are several conservatives, myself included, who say well for wall funding why do we need it the president himself has said illegal immigration or illegal border crossings are down 70 to 80%. We haven't tackled the eminent domain problem. Uh, the uh, the border between the uh, Texas and Mexico is only about 1200 miles and only 100 miles of that is pu- or privately owned land or publicly owned part of me and we'd still have to employ eminent domain to take 1100 miles. That's plus, always in
0: the pro- Republicans don't really want plus, this wall as yeah. much as uh, Donald Trump is talking about it.
3: Yeah, and then there's also the political toll. I think that It's the wall is very unpopular, especially among millennials. And when you have millennials not even connecting with the Republican Party, only 19 percent identify with the GOP or conservative values and only 13 percent of Hispanic millennials identify with the Republican Party. Why are we setting ourselves up for a fall?
0: And, Jeff, what do you, you said you feel like the president has, has had a good end of the year with the tax reform uh, bill coming through. What, if you were to write a list of New Year's resolutions for this president and you put it on his uh, desk in the Oval Office, what would you put on that list for this president to do?
4: Keep on tweeting. I have to love oh, it. Right? I think, yeah. you know, people can complain all they want, but mostly they're not his supporters who are complaining. I think his supporters love it. I think he's setting agendas, you know, in, in, in 140 or 280 characters. He's setting global agendas. He's diverting the media into all kinds of places that, you know, that, that he wants to send them. And he's pushing forward on his events. So that happens to be great. I'm perfectly comfortable with that as much as people complain about it. I think that that, you know, he's keeping his promises. I, the discussion about the wall and DACA, the truth is, I think Americans are very generous people. But then not when they're feeling insecure, whatever it takes to get the security will also lead to to DACA. And I think that that's that's the path that he's been treading since he was since he was campaigning. He said a big wall, but he said a big, beautiful door. And so he's always wanted both. That was every time he said a big, beautiful door, everyone ignored it. But that's what he said from the get go. And so I think that he should keep on, you know, sticking to his guns and basically ignoring all the flurry of people yelling and screaming outside because he's moving the ball forward. You know, taxes, he's putting money in the po- money in the pocket of virtually every working American, He slashed the corporate rates, the economy's gonna boom, it's already rolling booming. back regulation. Rolling back regulation, opening up Anwar. I mean, by the way, I just came back from three weeks in Israel. They love him there. Love him there. Because it's it's an absurdity that this issue that every president, Bill Clinton um, George Bush, Barack Obama, all swore that they were going to move the move the embassy to Jerusalem. All swore that you know it, that they were going to recognize the capital. In that one move, not only did he keep a promise, a bipartisan promise, and a cross-the-board promise made by multiple presidents, it uh, also obviously to be American law. But he also completely reset an utterly dysfunctional morass of what was a so-called peace process that didn't exist and ended up nothing but death and bloodshed. He totally reset it, and now and again, he's demanding responses for money. We started off talking about what he wants from the, from the rest of the world. We will support you if you support us, but we're not throwing money down this black okay. hole. We're okay. not throwing support down we're our black We're going
0: to sneak in a break here. We're of course waiting now for that press briefing. At any moment, Sarah Sanders is expected to give the first White House press briefing of 2018. We'll bring that to you live when it happens. This is State of America. Stay with us.